You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Hey guys, hope that you are doing well. We are wrapping up our series, uh, Samson. We've been in this uh, for about a month. This is the third part of our series, and we've just been looking at the story of Samson found in the book of Judges. A couple weeks ago, we talked through how personal dysfunction will lead to dysfunction in our relationships and that we need to be people who are willing to get ourselves in order. If you have not heard that, you can check them out on the podcast. Uh, Go ahead and pause this one, head back, look at uh, parts one and two. This week, we're going to wrap up the story of Samson with arguably the most well-known part of the story, and that is the story of Samson and Delilah. So, There's an entire chapter, Judges chapter 16, that I want to get through. Uh, We're going to read a ton of scripture. I'm going to try to paraphrase, or not paraphrase, but but, uh, summarize uh, at least one section. And uh, we'll we'll try to pull out some relevant points. So we're going to start Judges chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. One day, Samson went down to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So the first point is this, a strong man with a glaring weakness. In just the first four verses of chapter 16, we see Samson going after two different women. His entire story really revolves around his idolatry of women and his idolatry of self-satisfaction. I think that it could be really easy for us to have an observer's mindset and and point fingers. But if we're honest with ourselves, we probably aren't all that different. Our idols might be similar to Samson's or they might be something completely different, but each one of us has things in our life that cloud our vision, things that we idolize, things that we put out in front of us that, that get in the way of us becoming who God is calling us to be. So a question I would ask is this is what is crippling our clarity? What is crippling your clarity? If we do a little bit of self-study, what what are the things that are keeping us from really hearing from God and seeing the direction that he wants us to go? If we can identify them, we can fight them. But we, we can't work to get rid of them without identifying them in the first place. We have to know our enemy. Here's the thing. Samson's enemies knew his weakness and they used it against him. Our enemy, Satan, knows our weaknesses and he wants to use them against us. So if we fully understand that we have an enemy who's who's a real and present danger and that enemy knows our weaknesses, shouldn't we know our weaknesses? Shouldn't we be people who aren't naive to them? Shouldn't we look for our weak spots and say, okay, here's the area that I want to work on because I know the enemy is going to try to use this and and leverage this against me in my pursuit of Jesus, in my pursuit of people to make sure that they know love. It's going to be really hard for me to do the things that God is calling me to do if the enemy knows my weaknesses, but I don't. And I think we all want to be people who fight. I don't think any of us want to be people 
who fold. But if we don't put in the work to see those weak spots, if we don't have intentionality in figuring out the places where we need to get stronger, we will fold way more often than we would like to. So let's be people who fight, not people who fold, and identify the things that are crippling our clarity. I'm going to just summarize uh, the next several verses, Judges 16, 6 through 14. Delilah goes to Samson and says, tell me the secret to your great strength. She, she wants the money, right? Like the Philistines have offered her this money. She wants the cash. And, and Samson says, if you tie me with seven bowstrings, I'll be as weak as any other man. So she does it. Then she says, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up. Um, he breaks the bowstrings. She goes, oh, my gosh, you made a fool of me. And then he's like, I'm so sorry. If you tie me with new ropes that have never been used, then I will be as weak as any other man. And so she does that. Says the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up, breaks those things. Oh, you made a fool of me. Then he says, weave the seven braids of my hair into fabric and pin it into a loom. And she does that and says, oh, the Philistines are upon you. He breaks out of it. And once again, she says, okay, you made a fool of me. Notice that the previous verse that we looked at, Judges chapter four or Judges chapter sixteen verse four says that Samson loved Delilah, but at no point did it say Delilah loved Samson. Here, here's the thing: idolatry leads to ignorance. Idolatry leads to ignorance. When we worship anything but Jesus, it leads to pain and destruction because there's nothing that we can love so much that can reciprocate. Our love, and I know you're probably thinking, like, what about a spouse? Or about, but but you don't want to idolize your spouse. You want to love them as as unconditionally as you possibly can. But you don't want to idolize them. Idolization is something that can so easily lead to ignorance. When we idolize Jesus, he can reciprocate because he's the creator of the world. He's our savior. He he can reciprocate. He doesn't idolize us, but he loves us to cover all of those things. Anything that we idolize in this world will lead to ignorance. It will cloud our vision. It will lead to pain and destruction. The story goes on in verses 15 through 16. It says, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. <laughs> and then this part with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. See, we have to understand that Delilah was not for Samson. Samson might have been for Delilah. He was probably more for himself. But Delilah was definitely not for Samson. She was the enemy. And she was relentless. She was nagging until he was sick to death of it. And what we have to understand is our enemy is relentless too. So we have to be people who are relentlessly resilient. That we would not be grinded down. That no matter how much the enemy pokes and prods and nags and, and gets in our head and does all these different things, that we would be people who have resilience. But absent from Jesus, that will not happen. You see, when we feel like we are at the end of our strength, we have to understand that that is just the beginning of his strength. And, and I want to clarify this too. I think that there is, I don't think, I know that there is a difference between giving up and surrendering. There is a difference between giving up and surrendering you see, giving up is, is giving up. It's quitting. But spiritual surrender is offering the whys and the hows and the whats and the whens to Jesus and saying, and I trust you with all of it. All my whys, all my hows, all my whats, all my whens, all my whos. I trust you with all of it. I think there's such a desire in us to be strong when it comes to, to all the things that the enemy throws at us, though. We are weak without Jesus. We have to be people who are willing to admit our desperate need for Jesus, that we would have spiritual surrender, that, that giving up 
is us laying on the ground and saying, no, I'm done. But us surrendering is laying on our faces and saying, Jesus, use me. Take my gifts. Take my talents. Take my body. Take take my, my mind. Take my soul. Do whatever you need to do to further your kingdom. I know that you're going to place me in prosperous places. I know that you're going to place me in places where, where I can have human flourishing. We need to be people who are willing to admit, admit our desperate need for Jesus. The enemy wants to grind us down, but Jesus continually props us up. He encourages us to keep going. And how bad do we need that? I can identify with that more times than I would like to admit. There are so many times where I just need Jesus to hold me up because left to my own, I wouldn't finish the race. But with Jesus, I know that I can. The story goes on to say in verse 17, it says, so he told her everything. Samson tells Delilah everything. He says, no razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. It can be, it can be really easy for us to look at the story of Samson and just face palm the entire time. I mean, it feels like it was pretty obvious what Delilah was trying to do, and Samson's clarity was clouded, right? He he idolized Delilah, so he didn't see that she was trying to set him up. And I, I don't think that at any point Samson was intentionally trying to get into the circumstance he found himself in, but but he he slid away from the call of God. Most of us don't make a firm decision to walk away from Jesus, most of us have seasons where we slide, though. It's not intentional, but if we do not pay attention and make intentional choices, we can easily find ourselves sliding away from our creator. So a question that I would pose is, are we willing to make the difficult walk back? Are we willing to make the difficult walk back? So we've, we've all been, I mean, if you're in Montana, you've definitely been here, but most of us have been walking at some point and there's like loose ground and you're trying to go downhill and you'd like to go a certain speed, but the ground underneath you is a little bit loose. And so it starts to slide and you, you're kind of skiing down the side of the hill because you're having to like make sure you're not just like running down. And then you get towards the bottom of the hill and, and it goes from a pretty steep little decline into a flat surface, but you can't just stop or wreck your knees. So, so what do you do? You do that like awkward, like run out, like you get to the bottom of the hill and you run just a little bit longer than, than you thought you, you should. And all of a sudden you're, 15 to 20 feet away from the bottom of the hill. So not only did you slide down the hill, you, you went an extra 15 feet. I think that, that a lot, oftentimes that's how we find ourselves. We, we are trying to go a specific direction, but, but we don't have control over how fast we go or how far we go. And then sometimes it just happens completely, uh, with us unaware and we start to slide away from our original destination. That is like our relationship with Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to make the, the difficult walk up? Because if, if we understand that it was really easy to slide away from Jesus, then we have to be intentional about where we put our feet on their way back up because the ground is a little bit loose. So we're people who, who have intentionality with our steps. We, we step somewhere. If that ground is a little bit loose, we don't think that our foot's going to hold there. We find solid ground. We take one step at a time back towards where Jesus is calling us to be. And here's the thing about Jesus. When we ran down the hill awkwardly like a baby gazelle and, and went too far, he, he ran with us. He followed us, and as we're walking back up the hill, he's helping us make those intentional steps, saying, nope, don't step there. Don't step there. That's not where you want to go. Put your foot here. Put your foot here. Put your foot here. That's going to get you back to where I want you to be. That's going to get you back to solid ground. Judges chapter 16, verses 25 through 30 goes on to say this. 
it says, sorry, Judges 16, verses 18 through 22. It says, when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she went went and sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from the sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Isn't it interesting that even after knowing that he told Delilah what was going to take his strength, he woke up and thought, no, I know that God told me that if I shave my head, I will lose my strength. But I I think that I still have my strength. That is such a human thing. Like, no matter what, we're like, no, we got this. We got this. It's about me. It's not about God. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. You see, we need to be people who understand that this is not about us. This is about God. This is about the gifts and tools that he has given us. The rest of the story wraps, wraps up this way. It says, while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison. He performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, were, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time and let me get revenge with one blow on the Philistines for my two eyes. He wasn't thinking about Israel. He wasn't thinking about the calling. He wasn't thinking about the fact that he was supposed to deliver his people. He was thinking about his two eyes. So even at the end of his life, Samson is thinking about himself. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one side and his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. So let's wrap up with a few points, a few questions for the story of Samson as a whole. The first question would be this, who or what is your Delilah? Who or what is my Delilah? What is blinding us from seeing what should be obvious? Along with that, I take the, the question a little bit further and say, where is your voice of influence coming from? Is it man? Is it culture? Or is it God? Because what we understand is if, if we're prioritizing the voice of anybody above the voice of God, we're going to find ourselves in positions that we do not want to be in. So where is your voice of influence coming from? Where is my voice of influence coming from? Is it from the people around me? Is it from culture as a whole? Or is it from my creator? Second point, it never pays to be self-serving. Samson was uniquely positioned to serve the people of Israel, but he was only focused on serving himself. You see, too often we find ourselves being selfish, not selfless. Are we willing to put others out in front and allow our own needs to take a back seat? When we are about us, we can really only see five feet in front of us. But when we're about others, our perspective is widened. We see other people's needs and, and desires and the things that, that God is doing in their lives, and we prioritize them, and we end up growing more than we ever thought possible because our perspective is expanded. Here's the thing. When you are a part of a healthy community, everyone is putting each other in front of themselves. So even though you aren't a priority in your own life and you are prioritizing the needs of other people, someone else is doing that for you in healthy community. Sometimes we're not in healthy community and we feel like we're always prioritizing other people, but nobody's prioritizing us. That is not a fun place to be. But ultimately, we have to understand that God has the capacity to prioritize every single one of us. 
So we don't, this isn't transactional. We're not prioritizing other people so that they prioritize us. We are prioritizing other people because that's what Jesus has asked us to do. And he's always faithful. He's always faithful. He's always looking out for us. So we don't need to worry about other people looking out for us. We just need to look, worry about looking out for other people and trust that he's looking out for us. If we're in healthy community and people are prioritizing us, fantastic. Like what a, what an incredible place to be. And my prayer is that each one of us would find that community where we are in a, a reciprocating relational, relational environment. But we don't just put others in front of ourselves because we have an expectation that they put us in front of them. We are always people who love others despite what they do for us. The next point is this, is winning the battle isn't winning the war. And I, I know that that is super cliche, but I also think it's an important reminder. Samson was battle-focused, not calling-focused. Samson was battle-focused, not calling-focused. He was always looking at what battle he was about to win instead of being who God had called him to ultimately be. Now, hear me, battles one stacked on top of each other will lead to good outcomes. I, I think that, that we always need to be pre- prepared for the individual battles, but we can't let the small things deter us from the big things. We have to decide what battles are worth fighting. You see, Samson killed a lot of Philistines, even with his last breath, but Israel remained unsettled. Israel remained without a king when Samson died. That was the calling, is that he was supposed to be somebody who was leading the Israelites, who was going to deliver the people. His battles won didn't result in the accomplishment of his calling. So let's be people who understand that the battles that we choose to fight, would they be things that push us closer to Jesus? The battles that we choose to fight, would they be things that push other people closer to Jesus? Not push them away from Jesus, not push them away from the church, but if we're going to fight a battle, we better be dang sure that it is something that God is calling us to. Our battles won need to result in the accomplishment of our calling. Our battles won need to result in us being better disciples of Jesus. We need to have that metric to to measure the battles that we're fighting. Last point, freedom to choose, not freedom from consequences. Like every person in the Bible outside of Jesus, messy people make messy choices. God gave Samson gifts and tools and talents, and he chose to use them in the wrong way. It ultimately led to his death. So we have to understand this. God gives us gifts and tools as well. And we talked about this in the, uh, part one of this series. We have to ask ourselves, how are we going to use them? How are we going to use the gifts, tools, and talents that Jesus has given us? See, consequences, consequences are the direct result of actions. Consequences, direct results of actions. So often we look at the word consequences and we're like, that's a negative word. It's not. Consequences are simply the result of actions. There can be positive consequences to our actions. So what kind of results are we looking for? If, if consequences are the direct results of actions, what kind of results are we looking for? What kind of results are we looking for in our own lives? What kind of results are we looking for in the lives of, of others? When we are doing things, when we are saying things, are the results things that we are looking for? If the results aren't what we're looking for, are we willing to pivot? Are we willing to shift? Are we willing to to lean closer into Jesus and say, all right, I want the consequences of my actions. I want the consequences of my words. I want the consequences of my relationships to get me closer to Jesus, to become a better disciple and to let other people know that they are loved and accepted and, and that their creator is so incredibly for them. So what kind of results are we looking for? Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.